Yeah, I think, uh, you know, mileage isn't going away. I think, um, you know, it's a very easy way to quantify um, how much running you're doing. Obviously, it's, it's easy to track, uh, as is duration or time. Um, but uh, I think the, the purpose of our commentary was really to sort of show that um, mileage isn't everything. And, and so there are other ways that you can uh, track your training load um, and it can have important consequences on your um, your training load and, and uh, training prescription. So. Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. I, I come mainly from a clinical background. Like I was a, a practice, I've been practicing almost 20 years and um, started my PhD rather late, um, about 10 years into my, uh, after my, um, my physio degree. So um, I'm still very passionate about, um, and I still work clinically. So I'm very passionate about translating research into clinical practice um, so, you know, everything I do, I, I try and think about, you know, the clinical applications of it. How could um, either like patients or runners use this or how could uh, clinicians use this um, to, uh, to get better and, and be able to offer more. Um, so like some of the stuff I'm doing right now is more um, looking at like remote running gait analysis and that sort of thing. Um, which is kind of timely with uh, with the whole COVID thing and, and not being able to necessarily see patients in person or you know, having some restrictions in place like that. Yeah. Um, so, yep. Yeah. So that's been kind of interesting working on that. Yeah. No. That's um, that's like that's an area that I think is going to be um, yeah, so good uh, for the running research and getting data because yeah, runners won't have to go to the lab. Like they won't have to come um so then i feel like if you get some really good wearable technology that can um provide you know valid data then that you trust um then like surely surely that's an, a way to progress progress um uh the science of running yeah 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 i think you know it's uh it's convenience but it's also you can do more with it because it's not in a in this sort of controlled atmosphere right like in a in a lab or in a clinic on a treadmill um you know it's uh you can collect data in the real world where they're experiencing pain i mean maybe they experience pain only at like 20k of their run you know on their long run on the weekend or maybe they you know feel like going downhill or on certain terrain um and it's hard to replicate that uh on a treadmill but if you can sort of you know get them to collect data at those times um or you know give them something like where you can, you know, some of these wearable devices we're using, um, you can kind of collect over a prolonged period of time and, and then kind of look at a, a series of data, um, you know, as opposed to just sort of a snapshot of it. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I might just introduce you, Chris, to yeah, sure. everyone. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm 
incredibly fortunate to be chatting to Canadian sports physiotherapist, author and biomechanist and researcher with a special interest in running, Chris Napier. So Chris is also known as the runner physio on Twitter. Uh, Chris is a 2.33 marathoner. He finished his master's in physiotherapy in 2003 in Perth, Australia. Uh, he has a PhD in biomechanics and injury prevention that he finished in 2018. He co-owns Restore Physiotherapy Clinic in Vancouver. He is currently a physiotherapist with Athletics Canada. He is also the author of a fantastic book called The Science of Running, which I might add is just such a fantastic and comprehensive resource for educating the runner. Chris's list of research publications continues to grow as a postdoctoral fellow at the Simon Fraser University. He now has a particular interest, as he's just mentioned, in the use of wearable technology to monitor training load and injury risk in runners. To add to this, he's also a father. Welcome to the show, Chris. Um, did I miss anything? Oh, I think you got it all there, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. No, fantastic. Um, yeah, so for the runner who's just started listening to this, um, what is wearable technology? And uh, um, and yeah, I, I suppose like a, a lot of runners are aware of their Garmin watch and um, is, is that wearable technology and, and where do you see it going? Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. I, I think wearable technology has been around actually for quite a while and uh, runners in particular have been using wearable technology for a long time. Um, certainly like, you know, your, your GPS smartwatch is an example, um, of wearable technology. So it just essentially anything that you can wear on your body that can give you information about, um, your physiology or biomechanics or, or anything, um, uh, sort of any output about, um, your movement. Um, another example, uh, that runners have been using for a long time is just a, a heart rate monitor. Um, and of course, Polar came out with that decades ago, um, and uh, runners have been using that a long time to uh, to monitor their training. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, today we're we're sort of inundated with a whole bunch of uh, sort of new classes of, uh, of wearable technology that um, that runners are starting to adapt as well. Nice. Um, just last month, you released a publication with Max Paquette, Rich Willey, and Trent Stallingworth. Um, and it was a commentary on moving beyond monitoring weekly distance and um, in, in distance running, like, uh, and optimizing quantification of training load in runners. So, like, as runners, we all obsess by our about our weekly mileage. Um, how important is it to try to change this obsession, and uh, where would wearable technology fit into this piece? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, mileage isn't going away. I think, um, you know, it's a very easy way to quantify um, how much running you're doing. Obviously, it's it's easy to track, uh, as is duration or time. Um, but uh, I think the, the purpose of our commentary was really to sort of show that um, mileage isn't everything. And, and so there are other ways that you can uh, track your training load, um, and it can have important consequences on your... Um, your training load and, and uh, training prescriptions. So, um, you know, many runners will be familiar with uh, rating of perceived exertion or session rating of perceived exertion, um, which is, you know, just a simple rating of the overall intensity um, or exertion of a, a training session. Um, and, and that's basically a measure of internal training load. 
uh, whereas distance or duration would be an example of external training load. So that internal training load is in response to the external stimulus. Um, and it's important because uh, if you do a 10K run, um, when you're nice and well rested, uh, you may do that with a, a low um, RPE score. So you may do it with a, you know, a two or a three um, out of 10. Whereas if you're really fatigued, that same run on the same surface on the same you know, day of the week um, might be a five or a six just because you're fatigued. And so that's going to have an effect on the overall stimulus um, uh, or stress on your body. And of course, you could do, um, you know, as we point out in that uh, article, you could do 10 by 1K on the track sprints, you know, and still have the same distance accumulated, um, but uh, much higher level of exertion. Um, and then we get into, um, you know, other uh, ways to monitor um, loads in that in that commentary uh, using wearable technology. So whether it's specific structural loads, uh, like looking at Achilles tendon force uh, or bone stress, um, those, are, those are things that we can um, either measure directly or indirectly using um, different wearable uh, technology that's currently available. Nice. So with um, the wearable technology where you could get maybe a bit more specific with um, uh, body parts, uh, load. Uh, would this uh, work well for every runner or would you, um, do you see it sort of um, being used for someone who's say chronically injured in, in a certain body part? Or, yeah. yeah, so um, I think it, it, it certainly, if, if you're uh, someone who's been chronically injured, let's, let's just use the Achilles for example. Um, if you have chronic Achilles issues, um, then certainly would probably make sense to, to monitor uh, the load on your Achilles um, over time. And, and certainly as a clinician, that would be useful data um, if someone came in to see me and they could show me, look, this is my you know, Achilles tendon force over the last uh, six weeks, for instance. Um, and you can correlate that perhaps with, uh, with the status of their injury and then use it again for their rehabilitation plan. So that would be, I think, a useful um, way to, to use that data. Um, is it going to be important for everyone? No. Um, and of course, it, it helps if you know that the Achilles is your weak spot. But if uh, if that same person comes in with a, uh, a tibial stress fracture um, and we've only got Achilles tendon force data, then that's not going to necessarily be that helpful, is it? Yeah. So, um, I, I think there, there's a lot of research to be done in this area and it's coming um, and we'll start to sort of see um, perhaps some of the uh, more useful metrics um, to either predict injury or um, to enable us to use um, in, in return to running. Um, or we may find that really it doesn't matter and, uh, and, and that you can use a more global um, estimate of training load, something like um, what's often recommended and we recommend in the article, which is um, just session RP times the duration of your run, which is just a global way to to um, determine the overall uh, stress on your body. Yep. Um, there's a really good quote in the um, commentary um, by Kelvin and Hobbes. Um, <laughs> How do you know the load limit on the bridge? 
They drive bigger and bigger trucks over it until it breaks. Then they weigh the last truck and rebuild the bridge. So with um, even with wearable technology, do you think we'll st still get injured? And, and, and is that the case? And then um, do we just have to work out the tissue capacity that broke us like so is that how we is that how we work yeah. it out <laughs> yeah um yes <laughs> yes to all those i'd say um yes we'll definitely keep getting injured i don't think that's going to change um because it, it also requires runners to listen to their bodies and their coaches and their explanations and and do what's right and i think as a, as a runner uh you know as runners listening to this everyone knows that uh, runners not exactly good at doing that yeah um, so I think, I, I think there's still going to be runners getting injured, but it may help in a, in the management of those injuries and perhaps in preventing some injuries ahead, uh, going forwards. Um, I also think that, uh, you know, you, your comment about, is it just a, a matter of figuring out the, the, um, capacity of those tissues? I'd say yes, <laughs> that's a really important factor, but that's probably the most difficult thing to measure. And I think we're, we're miles away from, uh, being able to measure something like that, um, if ever. So that is a really big part of the equation. Um, and if, if we think about uh, injuries as occurring when you basically um, have your training load um, go past your tissue capacity, um, then if we don't know what that tissue capacity is to start with, then how much does the training load really matter? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it did get me thinking like, um... Cause like, say a runner did say a hundred kilometer week, um, and, uh, you know, all variables staying the same. Um, they did the same a hundred kilometer week that they've done for the last, uh, three or four months. Um, but they, uh, went to visit a family, uh, friend that lived in a really hilly environment. Um, and so they kept doing, uh, yeah, everything at the same intensity, the same runs, uh, the same shoes, um, uh, had good sleep, um, recovered well with good nutrition. Um, but then they came back with an Achilles injury because of the change in terrain. Will it provide sort of, um, perhaps, um, depending on the wearable technology, um, perhaps, perhaps that's going to provide some insight into monitoring, um, yeah, loads in terms of changes in terrain and, and surface? Right. Yeah, I, I think it will. Um, and I guess the question is, um, you know, how, how useful is that when you basically just said yourself, and, and it would be probably obvious in that situation that, you know, they went from running on the flat to running in hills, right? And, and yeah. then they, the Achilles started bugging them. So, you know, you can say, well, okay, yeah. <laughs> do we need data to kind of show that that was the reason when that's, you know, clinically we can reason that that's, that's why they got injured. Um, but perhaps in more subtle changes, we would see that, um, perhaps in, you know, changes in footwear or more subtle changes in terrain or combination of factors like that, we could see that the loads increased on the Achilles tendon. Um, that's where that might be a little bit more useful, I think. And then also for returning that person to, um, to running, um, you know, we might have an idea of what their load was when they were healthy and, um, and be able to kind of progress them. You know, right now we hand people a walk run program, which is sort of an arbitrary subjective, um, you know, way of increasing loading over a, a period of time. 
Um, but perhaps that could be informed more from their specific um, loads previously, uh, what they want to get back to, and being able to monitor that in real time um, on a week to week basis to be able to get them back uh, to running. And then we can match that with symptoms as well. So, you know, that those are situations I think where it could be really useful clinically. Um, but it still requires the clinician to be familiar with the technology and understand, um, you know, what they're dealing with um, and and have that that clinical background. It's not just a, a technician who's going to be able to sort of um, interpret all of that. Um, it really does still require uh, the expertise of the, the clinician. Yeah, that's why um, I think your book did a good job of trying to simplify what is a pretty complex sort of multifactorial sort of um, sort of problem like with with injuries um, like with running related injuries like there is a bit that goes into it sometimes um, but your job your book did a really good job of simplifying it um, that's the hard thing like even with this topic I feel like um, opens up like a more more cans of worms in terms of more data and what's relevant and what's what's not um, uh, what what are some of the latest uh, uh, wearables that um, you've been um, researching and and I saw a couple of them that um, look like you're sewing sort of strain sensors into some garments and using a sacral marker to to measure sort of center of mass uh, position and then also accelerometers and um, yeah using all these different um, measuring tools to measure sort of joint angles and ground reaction force and uh yeah vertical oscillation perhaps like but um i don't know what excites you at the moment yeah um yeah so my i mean that's all sort of part of my postdoc work at simon Fraser university where i'm uh in the school of mechatronic systems engineering which is um, the, the group I'm working with there is, uh, they actually develop wearable technology there. So it's been, um, really eye-opening for me to be able to see what's, uh, possible, um, and, and try to come up with some clinical applications, uh, for some of the, the gadgets that they're developing there. And so one of the things is this sort of, um, you know, using strain sensors, uh, sewn into, um, running tights, basically, uh, to be able to measure, um, lower body kinematics and so we've we've had a couple prototypes that we're using um where we're able to essentially estimate uh joint angles at the hip knee and ankle uh from these running tights which means that we can um you know potentially take these to market at some point and and runners can buy them and they can um run in them and, and they can track their uh their movements um essentially in real time right um, and so there's, there's a lot of possibilities for that in terms of, uh, either, um, like remote gain analysis for the clinician or the coach, um, or for runners just to, you know, track more metrics, um, and upload them to Strava. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, potentially again, to inform, um, you know, either injury prevention or, or rehabilitation. Um, we're, we're sort of in the process right now of kind of optimizing, those garments and, and determining where we need these sensors, um, if we can, you know, get better metrics, um, you know, in with sensors in different positions, if we add in accelerometers, um, that sort of thing. 
Um, but it's, yeah, it's been fun sort of playing around with all that. And then, you know, using my clinical hat to kind of think, okay, how could, how could I use this, um, in the clinic, uh, with people so that this is going to be something that people actually want. Yep. Yeah. And, and, uh, have you used some of the, in the clinic, um, just yet? Um, uh, not, so we haven't used that yet because, um, right now it's, uh, it's it's wearable, but it's not exactly remote. <laughs> yep. In that we have to kind of um, have it uh, in the lab to be able. We have to. It's wired right now. Uh, we're in the process of um, taking the wireless, the wires off, and making it wireless. Um, so I haven't I haven't used that in the clinic, um, but I am using various sort of uh, IMUs in the clinic. Um, we've got. Um, you know, the nice thing about being in the research environment is you can kind of play around with some of these things in the clinic as well. Um, and so, you know, I use some of the eye measure U sensors, um, in the clinic, which, uh, are just their top end, uh, IMUs with, uh, you know, high, high sampling rate, uh, accelerometers on them. Um, so we, I use those, uh, I've also used, there's a local company in Vancouver called Plantiga that makes an insole embedded IMU, um, that we can slot into the shoes, which I've been playing around with, um, doing some research, uh, on that right now. Um, and just trying to see how we can fuse the, the signals that we get from, um, those sensors with, um, training data essentially to kind of, um, give us like a, a, a richer, um, uh, sort of data set, I guess, um, in terms of overall training load. Yep. And with the, uh, the IMU, um, does, what does that measure? Um, and, uh, uh, how have you found, um, your initial sort of trials in the clinic so far? Yeah, so an IMU um, usually consists of an accelerometer, um, which measures accelerations um, usually in, uh, in in three dimensions, um, and then it also often has a gyroscope on it, which can measure um, angular velocity. So, uh, for instance, um, you know you could have it uh, on the foot and measure uh, pronation uh, potentially um, from that. And then sometimes I'll also have a magnetometer on that, which um, sort of gives you orientation. Um, but uh, I mean, the the data that we get from from that, the, the accelerometer is probably the most useful data. Um, and it gives us a sense of uh, impact, right? So um, tibial accelerometer has been used uh, for years in, in research settings. Uh, looking at running research um, to get an idea of, um, you know, the, the impact. Um, and often, like, there's been a lot of studies on uh, tibial stress reactions um, and uh, tibial uh, acceleration or peak tibial acceleration and impact. Um, so, you know, looking at uh, getting a, either a global um, idea of, of impact, uh, average over a run or how that changes or variability of uh, impact, or symmetry between limbs. Um, that's sort of some of the data that you can pull off really quickly um, in the clinic. Uh, and so you can do uh, various interventions in the clinic if you're wanting to reduce impact or increase symmetry between limbs. Um, you can you can do an in, uh, intervention like increasing cadence or telling someone to run softly um, and see if you can get them to reduce that impact uh, in clinic in real time. And um, and then right away sort of give them 
you know, whatever works for them because we know the different cues for, work for different people. Um, and then they can leave the clinic that day with uh, a cue to work on at home if they can't take those accelerometers home with them. Yeah, nice. So, so um, the idea would be that um, a lot of these wearables will be small enough um, that we'd attach them to our shoe or we'd have them sewn into our gar garments um, and then they'd provide us a bit more more data on yeah a lot of our um, sort of objective measures of our running gait outside um, uh, is that right and then also um, what do you really hope it gets to I suppose uh, it's probably a hard question to answer um, but in ten, 10 years time yeah um, well I mean you know the the technology is um, advancing so quickly these days in terms of um, you know the the ability for this to go from a, a research setting to a, a consumer level setting. So, you know, some of the things that um, were once only available in research labs are now available at the consumer level. Um, and so the IMUs is, you know, one example of that. Um, there's lots of uh, IMUs available on the market today just for runners to use. Um, and they're, they're high quality IMUs as well. Um, I think we'll start to see a little bit more of um, Kind of the the missing step between the the hardware um, and and sort of what that means and so that interpretation of the data um, and that'll probably be through through apps that are available um, you know or, or links with your watch where you can maybe get warnings um, you know if you're starting to just for example maybe you're on a long run and you start to reach some sort of predetermined threshold, whether it's, uh, you know, the impact um, of your, you know, steps is increasing beyond a certain range um, or you're, you know, asymmetrically loading uh, your limbs or, you know, right now we can do the same thing with cadence. You can get a, an alarm to go off if your cadence uh, drops below a certain level, but we might see that with some of these other metrics that we'll be able to measure. Um, which, you know, may act as either um, performance indicators or, or, you know, injury prevention indicators. Fantastic. And so um, with that gap, I suppose um, that'll just narrow with time once we've got more data and, and more information and, and um, you've done the research, like, you, you, like you, that'll enable you to sort of um, try to draw some patterns and try to find potentially some yeah. links or... I think, um, you know, the, the big thing with running studies is you need uh, very large uh, populations to, to make these, um, these associations. And, uh, um, you know, someone who's working on that is, uh, as an example, um, is uh, Rasmus Nielsen um, in Denmark with the RunSafe group. Um, and they've got a, a Garmin project going on right now where they're collecting thousands uh, of people, um, their data from the Garmin watches. Um, to be able to kind of track their training load metrics uh, over time and and um, and see how that influences uh, injury risk. So you need these really large studies. And, and the nice thing about wearable technology is it lends itself to that. So, um, you know, if if, uh, if we end up with um, either shoes or running tights or something like that, that can give us that sort of data and it's reliable and valid data, um, you know, and you... you send this out to tens of thousands of runners, um, you have the ability to collect that kind of data on those large numbers and, um, and make those inferences about 
um, the, the links between their biomechanics and their, their injuries. Um, I, I think you're still going to have um, a lot of subgroups that you have to analyze um, because we know that different injuries are caused by different, not only are different injuries caused by different mechanics and different uh, things, but um, even the same injuries can be caused by different things, right? So, uh, you know, the Achilles, again, um, could be a change in footwear. It could be uh, a change in surface, uh, you know, running up and down hills from uh, when you're normally running flat. So, you know, those could be different um, uh, stimuli on the uh, Achilles that have caused that injury. So um, I think there's, again, it goes back to the interpretation and being able to understand um, you know, the, the patterns that you're seeing, but the, the first step is really collecting all this data on, on large groups. Yeah, that's great. And we may find out that it's still too complex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... I don't know if you've, uh, read, um, uh, David Epstein's, uh, range. Oh, I haven't, I haven't read it. No, no. So it, it's, uh, I mean, the premise of the book is, um, that generalists, um, are in a, in a sort of a better position to be able to um, understand things than specialists in, in a lot of ways. And, um, and there's, there's a part of the, the book that talks about um, how, I guess, um, you know, Netflix uh, with their, their algorithm for determining which uh, shows you'd like to watch, they started off um, how you sort of typically start off and how we do in, in running research by looking at the traits of the people, um, uh, or, or looking at um, basically what what you like to watch, and trying to find shows that are similar, right? Which makes sense. Um, but they found that the a better algorithm was to look at the traits of the people um, and say, okay, well, um, these people are all similar and they like the same shows. So it was a, it was a better way to do it. Um, and I often think that that may be not only a, a simpler way to look at it in running, but also it might turn out to be, uh, you know, more, more accurate as well. So looking at, um, you know, these, these types of runners essentially all make the same mistakes and that's why they get this injury. Yeah. 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 Cause it's, it'd be easy to get lost in the detail. I reckon, um, um, I, yeah. I often find that every day at the clinic, um, I'm just going, okay, what's the elephant in the room here? Like what's the, What's the thing that stands out with this patient? Because um, there's so much going on. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and I think for ninety percent of the patients, it is something very simple, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like that, you know, that that runner who went and started running hills after running on flat. You know, that you yeah. don't really need to get deeper than that. Um, but certainly with the runners um, that can be more complex and have a longer history, um, it, it does. It's helpful in those cases, I think, to uh, to really draw the details. Yeah, for sure. Um, you'll be proud. Um, but the last two months, myself and a few of the young runners that I coached down, um, my way, um, have been monitoring our training load, um, by multiplying the time and, and our RPE for each run. Um, but we've also been monitoring, um, our daily sort of life stress. So, um, with a VAS, uh, out of 10 scale, so a daily life stress, our happiness, how healthy we feel, our sleep. Um, as well as our fatigue and our pain um, each day. Uh, and I personally feel over the last month, um, I haven't trained any harder, but just by tinkering with my training a little bit and being a bit more honest with uh, how I feel each day just by writing it out, um, 
I feel like um, I'm getting fitter a little bit quicker. I don't know if it's just uh, placebo, but I um, it sounds so simple, but I think run, a lot of runners in this sport get a bit obsessive. Um, it's, um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, um, I feel in the, in the obsessive quest to get better, a lot of runners, um, yeah, including me lose sight of, um, that sort of stress. And then you have to rest and recover and to, to adapt, to get fitter concept. And we always overtrain. Like, what are your thoughts, um, uh, here? Yeah, yeah I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I mean, runners are known for being obsessive personalities, right? Um, and often that revolves around like, you know, doing more, right? More mileage or more intensity, um, more, more, more is going to be better. Um, but I think, uh, you know, that's a great example of how just, I think being a bit more reflective, um, can be, can be really helpful both for, um, you know, your performance, but also, um, you know, potentially in preventing injury. I think the, you know, where there has been, um, some really uh, sort of obvious um, uh, helpful interventions has been in, in education, right? So when when there's uh, like some of these online uh, education um, platforms that uh, that are able to um, you know give a, a really simple advice about training, um, but sort of you know at timely points um, are able to prevent injury. Um, and, and I think also, you know, anecdotally, uh, you know, I've seen certainly that runners in like training clinics or, or training groups where there's a coach who's knowledgeable and available for feedback, um, they suffer less injuries than, than, um, you know, self-guided runners, um, who may still know that what they're doing is wrong, but not have that reinforcement at the right time that it's wrong. Yeah. Um, but if you're monitoring those things and you're noticing that as you're doing something, your, you know, your sleep quality is getting worse or your, you know, your pain is inching up. Um, I think just seeing that would be, you know, potentially a, a ref, give you a, enough reflection to make that change to your training. Whereas you wouldn't necessarily do that if, uh, if you weren't tracking it. Yeah. It's, um, it's been really good actually during this time too with COVID and not being able to catch up with um, a lot of uh, the guys I coach. Um, so you don't get that feel of how they're going because you don't see them. Um, but just by getting them to write down a, an objective measure uh, several times already um, has cued me in to change their training. Um, and it's funny because a lot of runners would just keep it to their close to their chest and just think they mm -hmm. need to power on um, because that's how they're going to get better and, and kind of ignore it. Um, and I've been guilty of that. Um, yeah, time, time and time again. Um, but it's, 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 um, it's interesting. Um, yeah, just by monitoring and writing it, I don't know, sometimes we just, people just don't, don't communicate these things. And so it's, it's, um, it's definitely helped me pick up a few, few, um, few areas where, oh, okay, that, that person, that runner's not adapting and, and they're probably in a, in a heightened um, chance of injury and it's led me to change the training. Um, so I don't know, I, I think there's something in it and um, yeah, it, it, I, 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 I just want more runners to, to be more cognizant of it. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and it, it can be as simple as, um, you know, just like a, a score out of 10, right? How yeah. are you feeling? Yeah. Um, 
and uh, like that, that really could be, um, you know, that all you need to do is, is track that on a daily basis. And if you see it start to creep up or, you know, whatever that means, if, if, uh, if it's getting worse, um, yeah, you should probably back off a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, a tough, tough area because like on race day, you're generally a pretty good runner if you can ignore pain and um, just power on and ignore fatigue and, um, and, and have that. Uh, amazing ability to push um uh and then i suppose you have to exercise um um i know you have to kind of listen to some of the some of the pain and some of the fatigue um during training um because it's just training and 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 uh really to um to get good and 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 um, get to a great stage of fitness it's more that sort of uh sustainable um consistent training over time so it's it's, it's a fine art i, I think yeah. yeah, and you know, with the, with the marathon taper and that sort of thing, like that's a situation where it really is um, very specific to the individual. You know, some some runners can do well off of a short taper, some need a longer taper, and um, and I think again, that sort of being able to track that sort of information can be really helpful in individualizing programs for for specific runners. That's essentially what they did for the uh, Breaking Two project, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask, um, Chris, um, like I, I've been um, doing a little bit of reading and, and the way that, um, uh, uh, you know, we're introducing a lot of technology into our training. Uh, do you think, um, and then with the idea of, say, artificial intelligence, do you think machines will um become more and more uh a part of of training um in the future or training yeah, decisions yeah. <laughs> um you know i think um i think we'll start to see it for sure uh, i think probably just as we see like online coaching picking up um and and sort of you know there are a lot of runners out there who either don't have access to a coach or a, a running group, um, or, or just kind of want to do things, um, you know, in a way self-guided, uh, but follow some sort of plan that they've found on the internet. I think we'll probably start to see that, you know, those runners start to follow, um, maybe something that's a bit, a bit more, uh, AI guided and, and, um, you know, they can feed things into it. They're, they're training and they'll get, you know, slightly more specific information back out of it. Um, so I think we'll probably start to see that kind of thing happening. Um, and of course, you know, the, the more data you feed into it, the more potentially you can get out of it. But, um, you know, the same garbage in garbage out, right? I mean, yeah. you may find that uh, unless there's someone interpreting that data on the other end, you may still not get um, the results you want, even, even with, um, you know, advances in artificial intelligence, um, you know, the, you have to know kind of all the constraints, um, and be able to, to feed that into the, uh, the computer to be able to come out with the right, uh, recommendations. Um, and, you know, in something that's very rules-based like, um, you know, chess, uh, for instance, that, that can work really well. Um, but in something that's a very sort of, uh, open context, um, like running, um, 
it can be really difficult to um, to sort of have the same success with that. Um, and uh, you know, so I, I think it'll it'll really, I think I think it will get better, but I think it will still. Um, I think humans will still have a, a large role to play um, in the coaching side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just the like because I guess there's um, so much individuality as well. Um, and then uh, yeah, what data? Like, does that data val- validly um, inform the decision that you're making? Um, like, how how relevant is is that data, and and how trustworthy is that data? Um, yeah, it's, um, yeah. And, 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 and then I, I think sometimes, yeah, you, you need a phys, uh, well, a, a coach or a, a, a human to sort of nut through that a little bit too. And then to pick up on, on, um, on, uh, cues like motivation and, um, and, mm-hmm. um, how, how, like just those cues that you can pick up that I'm noticing that you can't pick up if you don't see someone face to face, um, uh, yeah. yeah, during this COVID period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and, and even just things like uh, trust in, in your coach, um, you know, and not, not second guessing your coach. Uh, it, it's, um, you know, I think that's really important. And, um, and certainly on the performance side of things, having that, that faith in, in your coach doing like prescribing the, the right training um, is, is hugely important. If you, if you hundred percent trust them, um you know, I think that can really affect your, uh, your ability to, to meet your goals. Yeah. Um, which I think would be difficult, you know, in a AI environment. Yeah. I saw, I saw, um, a recent, um, study come out of, uh, Norway that was sort of, um, alluding to that as in they, um, uh, they found sort of all these high responders to six months of train endurance training and then low responders to endurance training. And, uh, the subjective data at the end was from the coaches involved was um, there seemed to be like a strong correlation between um, the athletes that responded um, did have a good rapport and um, with the with the coach and were happy uh, were were mm-hmm. motivated um, were and, and with that good rapport I suppose they were communicating um, if they were tired I guess um, and, and then I suppose the training probably. Um, was tinkered um, a bit more readily than um, if in the low responders there was a general trend um, that uh, yeah the the athlete wasn't as happy or wasn't as motivated for various reasons. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah, yeah. And, and it's not surprising. And and as a clinician, um, it's the same thing, right? If you if you have someone who's more actively involved in their treatment and, and, uh, and you're coaching them through their exercises, uh, they're more likely to be compliant with that and, and do better. Right. Yeah. Whereas, uh, yeah, a patient who's maybe a bit more detached and not, um, you know, not being compliant with the exercises probably won't do as well. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that human element, um, that, yeah, I think, um, really important for compliance and, um, yeah, yeah, which would be interesting to see, you know, with, uh, all the, all the studies that are going on right now with telehealth, uh, to see how that affects, um, you know, how, how well people are doing with these, with physio interventions, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think, um, I, I, that's just about everything that I, um, really had planned to go over. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm wary of, um, the time Chris, um, and I'm so appreciative of, um, 
of the chat. I, I probably um, just wanted to quickly touch on um, your book, the the science of running, because I think it's um, a great book, and I, I bought it actually last week in preparation for this chat, and um, I, I read it the last last week, and um, I, I was surprised that would have taken you ages to to do. Um, <laughs> it's so comprehensive, and and there's so much in there. Um, I don't, I really don't know how you've found the time to do everything you've done. Um, yeah. Um, over the last um, 15, 20 years. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, it, it's um, um, a really good resource. So uh, if someone were, yeah, was, was interested um, in uh, purchasing it, like ha how would they um, look into finding it? And then also how would they find a bit more about you? Um, yeah, well, the book's available um, on Amazon, um, and uh, and it's also available in uh, in most um, sort of larger bookstores. Certainly, um, uh, you know it's it's a, it's available. Um, it's fairly easy to find. Um, and um, and then if you're looking for more information on me, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Runner Physio. That's uh, I'm fairly active on on Twitter. Um, and um, yeah, that's probably the, the best way to sort of see some of the stuff that we're doing in our lab. Uh, and um, and uh, I'll, I'll always push out the, the work that we're doing, the studies that are coming out. Nice. And you just mentioned before off air that um, there's um, yeah been a, a bit of smoke and um, yeah, bushfire, bushfires like um, affecting um, the amount of running you can do. Um, what are your running goals and um, at the moment, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was supposed to do the London Marathon in April, and obviously that didn't happen. And uh, so uh, that's that's actually been pushed till next October now, uh, assuming it goes ahead then. Um, so yeah, in the meantime, I'm just trying to kind of keep the motivation. Um, I've got uh, my 42nd birthday coming up um, in November. And so I thought it'd be cool to run 42 K on my 42nd birthday. Um, so <laughs> just trying to figure out, you make sure I, uh, you know, get enough training in before then. And, uh, and sort of I'll come up with a course somewhere and, and do that. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, beyond that, um, just trying to avoid, enjoy running, you know, for what it is. And, and, um, I think myself and, and a lot of runners, um, at times can be a bit too focused on, um, those, those goals and those races and, um, forget just to enjoy, um, you know, being out there and running in different, uh, locations and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm just trying to enjoy it as much as I can right now. Um, but yeah, as you said, with the, the smoke here lately, uh, it's, it's been hard to, to get out and, <laughs> and do that. Yeah. Um, but hopefully that clears up in the next week. Nice, nice. And, and then uh, I just noticed that you were selected for Athletics Canada to go to the uh, Olympics. Um, do, do you know, have you heard anything on, on whether, um, how likely that's going to be going ahead ne um, next year or are you any more well, in the know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know anything more than the next person. I know the IOC, IOC's pushing hard for it. Um, and, uh, I, I think it, it'll just depend on, you know, where things are at with a vaccine and, um, and that sort of thing. But, you know, certainly, um, there have been examples of sports that have been able to, to make it work, um, in, in Canada, certainly, uh, you know, hockey has been a, a good example of, uh, of making it work. They've, they've done a really good job of, 
sort of confining the the teams to a bubble and um and they've had good success with that um so you know i think there's there's ways to to make it work but i mean the olympics is such a massive massive event um and uh yeah we'll just have to kind of see i hope it goes forwards for sure yeah um, i'd love to be there and uh, i think it would be a great way to kind of come out of this um and, and bring the whole world together on it yeah yeah that's a good point Nice, Chris. All right. Um, yeah, thanks so much for your time. And a lot of runners will find that very interesting um, today. So, yeah, um, so thankful for, agreeing, for you agreeing to jump on the show. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. No worries, Chris.